Amen. You can be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, and I hope that you do, I want to invite you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 35 through 38. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab one in the pew in front of you. There should be one. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Over the last year, we've walked through the book of Exodus together, verse by verse, and finished that up right before Christmas. And probably for the next month or so, we're going to be walking uh, through some different sermons, not through a book of the Bible. We'll start one of those up in February again. Um, A few weeks ago, before Lucy Kate was born, we looked at a sermon out of Luke, uh, I'm sorry, out of John chapter 1, and talked about the city of Nazareth. And how on the world stage, that didn't seem to be a significant city. It actually had a reputation that was negative. No one thought anything significant could come out of Nazareth. And yet, it was through a town like that, that a little boy, the God-man, grew up and changed the course of world history and changed eternity. And this morning, I want to look at Matthew chapter 9, another brief section about our Savior Jesus. Last week I saw a quote on Facebook from J.D. Greer. If you don't know who that is, he is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention currently, and he's also a pastor at a large church in North Carolina. He's written a lot of books, maybe you've read one. And in that quote he said this, "...without the mission, a church is not a church." It is just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. I'm going to say that again. He said, without the mission, without the mission that Jesus has given us, a church is not really a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians who are hanging out. And I think that he he put that out there to be provocative and to get people to stop and think and consider why God has us here, and to remind ourselves that Jesus' people exist to live on mission. There are lots of things, lots of pursuits in this life that we can run after that are good pursuits, and yet our purpose is to bring glory to our God by delighting in Him and obeying Him and making His name great in our lives and our families and our communities and among the nations. Jesus' people have always existed to live on mission. It is part of our identity and DNA as a blood-bought believer. We go and we tell other people about the great salvation that has come to us through Jesus. And as we tell them, we don't just tell them facts, we urge them, we press on, we cross that place in the conversation, that pain threshold where it gets uncomfortable and we urge them, you need Jesus too. You need the Lord like I do. You need forgiveness of your sins. You need to live within God's design for you. Jesus gave clear marching orders as He ascended to heaven before to His disciples and Matthew 28 most famously that His people are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them 
all that Jesus had taught them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit baptizing them. This is, this is the command to make disciples, to save souls through evangelism, and to mature saints through discipleship. It's not a great suggestion. It is a great commission. It is a great command. It is not optional. This is not something just for super holy Christians. It's not just for people who stand in pulpits. It's not just for people who are naturally bold. It is for all believers, no matter how old you are or young you are, no matter your story, your background, your abilities, and your talents. This is a call from our King, a command, not a suggestion. We're we are commanded to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Why? Because God uses our words. He uses our imperfect, feeble words to bring spiritual life and salvation to others. What a privilege that is. We often think about sharing the gospel and we think of it as a duty. We think of it as something that makes us uncomfortable, something that uh, we, we would prefer not to do, something that if we do it, we're going to be too pushy. But instead, we should think of this as a privilege. We are heralds of our King, commissioned by the Lord who loved us enough to pay our penalty and bear the wrath of God for us. We are privileged to go and proclaim that good news so people can be saved. But here's the thing. You know that. Believers know. If if you've been a believer for any period of time, believers know that they're called to make disciples. They know what Jesus said. It's not a lack of information believers have. Believers know and yet regularly still choose to never make disciples, to never speak the truth, to never have that gospel conversation. It's not a lack of awareness, friends. It's a lack of obedience. It's a lack of obedience. And one of the main reasons that so many believers today are disobedient in this area is because of how focused on ourselves we are. How focused on ourselves, our pursuits, our families, our jobs, our responsibilities, how focused we are on our ambitions, on our hobbies, on all these things that are not bad things. And yet they distract us from our main purpose as believers, to bring glory to God through living holy, missional lives for our King. Our self-focus keeps us from remembering our mission. Let me ask you a question. It's a challenging one. Sermons like these honestly always make me feel conviction. I hope you do today as well. How many people have you shared Jesus with in the last month? I know it's been the holidays, so maybe you've been consumed with family and responsibility, so let's make it a little easier. How many people have you used your words to share the good news of Jesus and urge them to follow Him in the last six months? How many people in the year of 2019 have you proclaimed the good news of Jesus with? How many friends, how many neighbors, co-workers, maybe a complete stranger, have you intentionally seen an opportunity or created an opportunity to share the gospel with? Friends, the answer to that question does not just matter for our church to grow. It's not just about our church getting bigger by seeing people come to faith. It's not just about that. 
Our answer to that question is important because it's a matter of obedience to our God. And it's a matter of salvation to those who are lost and perishing without the hope of the gospel. Friends, people cannot be saved and we cannot be obedient if we are not missional. Listen, we live in the Bible Belt. Everyone here thinks they're saved. So you can't just say, do you know Jesus? And they'll say, yes. All of them will say yes. But they might not have been in a church for the last 15 years. They might not be able to tell you anything about Jesus. They might believe that if they do enough good works, they're going to go to heaven. Right? you got to ask some follow-up questions. Right? Everyone thinks that they're saved. And in our area, it is, it, it, it is normal. Listen, it is normal to think, I want our church to grow. I hope the people that already love Jesus and that are already faithful disciples of Him who go to church up the road here or here, I wish that they would like our services and product better here and we can just get them to swap and come so we can feel like we're doing something. No! The goal here is the people in our community who hate God, who reject the gospel, who are living for themselves, and who are not going to darken a door anywhere. We want to see people saved who do not know the Lord. We want to see people saved who are heading for judgment because they are refusing to submit to the Lord. Maybe they don't know the gospel. Maybe they've heard it, but they've rejected it. I don't know. But they might have all sorts of messed up lives and messed up decisions and they might be messy people. But the goal of the church, if we are to be missional, is not to try to get people to leave their churches and come here. It's to go and make disciples of the unchurched, of the lost, because they exist all over our community. They exist in your workplace. They exist in your neighborhood. You stand behind them in line at Walmart. You sit and look at them at the stoplight when you're waiting to take your kids to school. There are people who need the Lord everywhere. And sometimes they can talk a good game. But there's no true transformation in their life. There's no evidence that they truly know the Lord. People cannot be saved and we cannot be obedient if we are not missional. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable talking about Jesus. It doesn't matter if you don't think you know the Bible well enough. Side note, if you don't think you know the Bible well enough, you should be in Sunday school every Sunday and you should be in discipleship classes every Sunday night because when you stand before King Jesus and He says, what did you do with the time that I gave you? He's not going to be like, you know what, it's okay. Whenever you say, I never really knew enough about you so I never did anything for you or shared the gospel. He's going to say, really? Why didn't you go to Hebrews class? Why didn't you go to discipleship class? Why didn't you sit in Sunday school? Why didn't you start a Bible study? Why didn't you look at the million resources? That can't be an excuse. We have to equip ourselves so that we can be faithful and obedient to God. It doesn't matter how confident you are. It doesn't matter how much you know. Because honestly, every one of us don't know all the answers. And God regularly uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. If it wasn't for an imperfect preacher and an imperfect Sunday school teacher, then I wouldn't know the Lord Jesus, right? And yet their faithfulness led to salvation. This is a command. That's the point I'm trying to make. It's a command from King Jesus. So we must not be so self-focused on our little kingdom, our little comfortable life, so that we are comfortably 
regularly ignoring gospel opportunities that are before us every day. Friends, I want to encourage you, before today is out, before this message is out, think of someone in your life, someone in your family, someone in your peer group, someone in our community that doesn't know the Lord. And I want you to start praying for them today. And I want you to start praying for opportunities. And I want you to start praying that the Lord would use you this year to speak the gospel into their lives. And they might reject it. You can't, you're not responsible for the results. You're responsible for faithfulness. You're responsible to plant the seed and let God do the work in their hearts. Think about that. The, the antidote to this kind of self-focus, this form of focused Christianity is to look at our Savior Jesus. And I want to do that this morning in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds... Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. I want to point out four truths about Jesus that I believe we should emulate if we are to be faithful to our Savior. The first is this. We see in our text that Jesus' net is cast wide. Jesus' net is cast wide. Verse 35 shows us a normal day in the life and ministry of Jesus. It says He goes through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, healing diseases and afflictions. Notice the scope of His mission. He went through all the cities and villages in Galilee. There were nearly 200 cities and villages and close to 3 million people in this 40 mile by 70 mile area. 200 cities and villages, close to 3 million people, a mission field of 40 miles by 70 miles. Ministering to all of these villages and cities would have taken over three months if you went to two different villages every single day to do the type of work Jesus did. And He was traveling by foot. So there was a physical exhaustion that would have been involved in this. And yet every day, Jesus would get up and He would go. He would get up, He would pray to the Lord to accomplish His purposes, and then He would go out and He would push through the physical exhaustion, push through the mental and the emotional exhaustion so that the gospel could be proclaimed and so that He could meet with the people who were in desperate need of a Savior day after day. He pressed on. Why? Because the mission His Father had given Him was His priority. God the Father said to His Son who was enthroned, Go, 
I have a mission for you to redeem a people so that they can be forgiven and live at peace with me and experience the joy that the Father, Son, and Spirit have had for all eternity. And Jesus humbly stepped off the throne, emptying Himself of His divine privileges, not His divine nature, choosing not to take advantage of them so that He could go and draw near to the weak and needy and sick and afflicted and sinful. He did that, and then when He grew up fully God and fully man, His Father's mission for Him was His priority that trumped all other priorities. There would be some villages and roads that would have been nicer and safer than others, but Jesus went to them all. Jesus didn't give preference to where he was the most comfortable, but instead he cast a wide net seeking to save the lost everywhere. There are times, maybe at our church or somewhere else, where you've signed up to volunteer for some sort of an event. Maybe it's a fall festival, or maybe it's helping out with youth and doing things on Wednesday nights, or maybe there's a whole other list of things it could be. But, but, but sometimes you sign up for things, and it requires three or four hours of your day, and by the end of it, you just want to pass out. You're exhausted, and maybe by the end of it, you're just kind of fed up with the people that are around you, right? Do you not think that Jesus, in the midst of this type of a ministry, would have been tempted to push pause on his mission whenever he was exhausted from traveling? Do you think he wouldn't have been tempted to push pause on his mission whenever he had to deal with so many people day after day after day? Jesus would have been tempted to avoid unsafe places filled with people who had problems and were messy and had thinking that was backwards and were sick and diseased and all of these things. And yet, Jesus' mission never stopped. His mission never stopped. Sure, he rested. He had to rest. He models that for us. He had to rest from his mission. But listen, he did not take vacations from being on mission. He didn't say, I'm at work. I'm not going to be on mission. You know what? I just picked the kids up from school after a long day. I'm not going to be on mission. You know what? My focus right now this weekend has to be on this. So I'm not going to be on mission. I'm going away for a week to unwind. I'm not going to be on mission. Jesus is on mission everywhere He goes. Why? Because His Father's mission for Him is the priority that takes first place in His life. He presses on in the Spirit's power, taking the gospel to all places. And His example is instructive for us. Because we are prone to let exhaustion and discomfort keep us from living on mission. Friends, if you wait until your life is not busy to live on mission, then you will never live on mission. We are all busy. We all have responsibilities and duties. We all have things we've committed ourselves to, and those are not bad things. That's just part of life. We are all prone to worship our comfort But our mission never stops. Friends, I'm talking about Jesus here because He never stopped His mission. His net was cast wide, but many of us are never even living on mission in any way. 
If you answer that question, how many people have you shared the gospel with in the last year? None. And then I said the last five years, the last ten since you've been a believer, and you say none. Friends, that is disobedience to our king. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, that's the truth. That's the truth. The purpose of the church, the purpose of the church is not for you to get people to come listen to me. It's for me to equip you to go be obedient to the Lord and do the work of ministry. Everyone here is called to ministry, even if it's not your job. Every one of us. Our mission never stops. Even if we're tired, even if we just want to break, our mission never stops. And like Jesus, we must press on in the Spirit's power and obey God instead of worshiping convenience and worshiping safety and worshiping comfort. Jesus' net is cast wide. But secondly, we see another thing, and that's this. That during Jesus' ministry, Jesus' power proves His message Jesus' power proves His message. Verse 35 says, When Jesus arrives in each of these villages and cities, He proclaims the gospel. That means He preaches the truth. And He healed every disease and affliction. You might say, Ah, Nick, here's the problem. Jesus could heal people. Jesus was an exorcist. I am not. I can't heal and cast out demons like Jesus, so therefore I cannot be responsible to live on mission all the time and do the things Jesus did. But let me ask you, why did Jesus perform miracles anyway? Was it just to show how snazzy of a guy he was? No, the reason that he performed miracles was to prove who he was. He performed miracles to give credibility to His message. He did these miraculous feats that only God could do so the people would listen to Him and hear the message that could save their souls. His power as being fully God and being led by the Spirit perfectly gained Him an audience willing to listen to Him. If I stand in a pulpit, or if anyone else does anywhere else, and says that they are God, you should not go to that church. You should be suspicious. You should be cynical. You should probably cry out, heresy. But if I tell you that I'm God, and then I perform miraculous feats that only God can do, you would at least hear me out. Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost, and His message was that you could come into God's kingdom and live at peace with God where the fullness of joy is only through repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus' work. And Jesus' miraculous power proved that His claims were true and that His message was believable. You still haven't answered the question, Nick. How am I supposed to prove that the message is believable if I can't cast out demons and heal people of every disease and affliction? This is how. We prove our message by showing our power. Not our power over the created order like Jesus does in His miracles and the Gospels, but the power that God has put in us, the power of a transformed, spirit-led life. 
The Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for ministry came down at Pentecost to dwell in His followers. And ever since then, when people repent of their sins and believe in the gospel and are born again, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us so that our lives look different so that we can face temptation and not give in to it so that we can confidently face opposition with faith in God Christians are not perfect people Christians struggle with sin struggle with doubt struggle with temptation constantly are trying to put the idols to death constantly are trying to grow more and make sense of going through trials the Christian life is not an easy life it is not a sinless life we should not be self-righteous hypocrites who act as if we have it all together, but the Christian life is always a transformed life. Because those whom God saves, He always sanctifies. Those who are justified by the finished work of Jesus are always sanctified and transformed and given the power of the Spirit inside of them to say yes to Jesus and no to the world. And when people in your workplace and people in your neighborhood and people in your community know who you were before Christ and then they see your life now, they're going to notice something's different. They're not going to say they're perfect. They're not going to say they don't have any issues. But they're going to notice something is different because the Spirit's power is inside of you. Friends, your life, your transformed life will make the message you proclaim believable or unbelievable. So we, like Jesus, must follow in His footsteps and let the power within us prove that our message is true. Jesus had a net that was cast wide. He went to all people and pressed through physical exhaustion. And His power proved that His message was true. But there's a third thing I want to point out, and that's this. That Jesus' heart is broken for the lost. Jesus' heart is broken for the lost. In verse 36, we get a glimpse of Jesus' heart and His motives. It says, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The exhausted Jesus who was roaming around Galilee with a bumbling band of fools that He chose as His disciples would arrive at each city and crowds would gather in search of healing, in search of exorcism, in search of food and truth and hope. These people were needy, demanding, loud and smelly. They would include the religious elite who were trying to catch Jesus in His words and these crowds would include the desperate poor who were seeking help and healing. This would have been a daily, overwhelming experience. It would be easy to get frustrated with people's foolishness. It would be easy to get angry at people's sin. It would be easy to get squeamish at people's disease. But Jesus' response was different. His response was compassion. His response was mercy and love. Jesus saw the great need around Him and He moved towards it instead of moving away from it. 
Jesus saw people where they were and He met them there because He felt their pain. These people, these crowds are described as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The word harassed conjures up the idea of being oppressed. These people were harassed by the religious elite who were weighing them down with unbiblical legalistic laws, telling them that they had to follow this and that in order to be right with God. But they were also harassed by living in a broken world with a sin nature. The world around them was falling apart. Their bodies were broken. Their relationships were broken. Their families were broken. And they were struggling to survive. And every one of them, like us, were prone to put their hope in the things of this world to fix their problems. They were harassed. They were also helpless. They were unable to escape this oppression because of their sin nature. They were helpless to fix their biggest problem of standing as an enemy against the Almighty Holy God. They were under the judgment of God and did not know the solution to this problem. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Did you know sheep are one of the dumbest animals God ever made? And yet that's what God and His divine sovereign plan chose to compare His people to. Without direction, sheep will get lost. They will fall into danger and they will quickly be surrounded by predators. And a shepherd's job is to come alongside and to protect and provide for and keep those sheep on track. These people are searching for something, but they don't have a shepherd. They don't have guidance. They don't have protection. They need someone who will go with them through the valley of the shadow of death. They need someone who will help them to go and lie down beside still waters. But they did not need to open their Bible and read Psalm 23 and memorize it. Instead, they needed to know the shepherd of Psalm 23. And that Shepherd, the good shepherd, comes with compassion and mercy and love. He sees their need and he moves towards it. One of the main reasons that we don't live on mission is because we are so focused on ourselves. We have our own agendas, our own schedule, responsibilities, families, hobbies, none of which are bad. But when our lives revolve around us and what we want, we fail to take notice of the harassed and helpless around us. Another way to say that is when we are so focused on ourselves, we are so proud of how hard of a worker we are, of how we've done it right and all these other idiots have done it wrong. When that's the posture that we have towards other people, we fail to see others with the eyes of Jesus. One of our greatest needs is to stop thinking about ourselves. Stop puffing ourselves up. Stop looking at our past accomplishment. Stop looking at our future plans and instead look into the eyes of the lost around us. First, you have to notice them. Be aware of them. Notice your waitress. Notice the person standing in line by you at the store. Notice the neighbor who you know doesn't have Jesus. Notice the fan at the ball game, the person at the stoplight, the co-worker in the lunchroom. We have to push pause on ourselves to focus on someone else. 
Many of us need to look up and see the spiritual needs around us. But seeing the lost is not enough. Jesus feels deeply for them. He doesn't just see them and say, yep, lots of lost people. He hurts for them. Listen, there's a lot of idiots in the world. There's a lot of lazy people in the world. There's a lot of people who don't want any help. There's a lot of people that if you approach them and try to help, they're not going to listen. There's a lot of people who will gladly take advantage of your generosity. I know. I'm aware. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that reality. But listen to me. Jesus doesn't look with anger at the lost and think, you know what, they're getting what they deserve. Jesus' posture towards the lost is not Jonah's posture towards Nineveh. He says, I don't want to go do what you told me to do and share the good news because if I do, I know they repent because I know you're a merciful God and I want them to face judgment because that's what they deserve. That's what Jonah did. Jesus is not like that. Jesus doesn't look at the crowds and the harassed and the helpless and the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted and say, I can't believe they live like that. He doesn't look at those who are seeking hope and joy in the wrong places and think, they're just so stupid. If they just got it together like me, it would be better. He sees the need and he feels compassion and love. But do we, do you, do you feel deeply for the lost in your workplace? Have you ever wept for an unbeliever in your life? Does an unbeliever's eternity not being right with the Lord ever keep you up at night? Do you look at them and see yourself And remember that you were in the same state they were before your eyes were opened to see the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Or do you, like me, often feel apathy about lost souls? Do you, like me, often feel self-righteous and even angry when you see someone choosing sin over Jesus? Our Lord Jesus is not so busy and not so self-focused to ignore the lost. He's not too self-righteous or hard-hearted to care for and love them. Our self-focus and our apathy for people who don't know Jesus are only overcome as we lift our eyes away from ourselves and to our Savior's love, and as we remember how He loved us in our sin, in our need, in our lostness. We must plead with God to give us the same heart as our Savior had for us.
in our text, we see Jesus' heart is broken for the lost. There's one more thing. Jesus' charge is to pray for laborers. His charge is to pray for laborers. In verses 37 and 38, Jesus tells His twelve disciples who are with Him, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. The harvesting of crops is a biblical metaphor that God uses to speak of judgment. One day the wheat and the chaff, believers and unbelievers, will be separated. And with that day of the Lord in view, believers must see that our world is under the judgment of God that is coming, but our world is also ripe for the harvest. Why has the Lord Jesus not returned? Why have we not flown away as we sang earlier? 2 Peter 3.9 Because the, the Lord desires no one to perish. The Lord desires that His people will live on mission and bring many to faith in Christ who are His people. The fields are ready. The crops must be gathered, but the laborers are few. The need that Jesus is pointing out is the same need today. The need is not for spectators who stand by the harvest. Who say, you know what, I'll give some money to the harvest. You know what, I'll show up and we'll sing songs about the harvest. The need is for people who will see the great need and will go and labor for the harvest. Labor for the souls of the lost. Friends, when Christianity becomes a spectator sport, churches die, spiritual lives dwindle, and the lost go to hell. Jesus is not calling for spectators who have heard the marching orders and see the need but stand on the sidelines. He is calling for those who have been saved by His grace to hit the fields running and labor for the lost with all of their energy even when they're busy, even when it makes them uncomfortable, even and especially when it requires faith, and dependence on God to do so. But before they go, He calls them to pray for God to send the laborers. We are the answer to their prayer. We today are the answer to this prayer. Pray for laborers to go out into the harvest, Jesus said. 
And then he finishes his mission and he dies on the cross and he defeats death and he ascends to the right hand of the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit and he sends his disciples on mission and the church grows from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world and the story of church history is the story of how nothing can stop the gospel as long as people who by faith have been saved by the gospel are willing to proclaim the gospel no matter what it costs. We are the answer to that prayer if we will be faithful. If we will be obedient, we must pray for God to prepare the hearts of laborers, to prepare our hearts, to soften our hearts. We must pray for God to break the hearts of laborers for the hearts of the lost. We must pray for God to soften the hearts of the lost because God is ultimately the one who is sovereign over salvation. We are not responsible for the results, but we are responsible to go out and work. And be faithful. And that's what I challenge you to join me in praying for and doing as we close this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, and you hear this and you're like, this is kind of making me uncomfortable. I was hoping for an uplifting, positive, make me feel good about myself. I'm glad you're here. Because this is what obedience, this is what discipleship 101 is about is living on mission. If you're here and you're hearing this and you're thinking, I will never share the gospel. I will never be uncomfortable for Jesus. I am not looking to serve. I am not looking to say no to sin. I am focused on myself. I just want to go to heaven when I die. Friends, if that's you, you need Jesus to save you because you can't give away what you do not possess. You need Jesus to come into your life and transform you from the inside out. Okay? There's no such thing as obedient Christians and disobedient Christians. There's repentant Christians who are willing to do what King Jesus says, and then there's not Christians. Okay? That's challenging in the Bible Belt where everybody's been told they've been saved by just repeating a prayer and saying a few words. No, that's not the version of Christianity we're preaching here, okay? Because it's not the biblical one. That's not what conversion is. Those who God saves, He sanctifies. Those who God justifies, He sanctifies. So if you're here and you don't live on mission, and you don't want to, and you're saying in your mind, I'm not doing that. I don't care what God says. I'm my own king. I just want to go to heaven in case all this stuff's true. You need the Lord. And listen to me. If that's you, I have good news. Jesus is the good shepherd who comes for his sheep. Jesus feels the same compassion for the lost and the hurting in our text as he feels for you. And he didn't just feel compassion. He went to the cross, bore the shame of crucifixion, bore the guilt of the wrath of God upon himself to defeat sin and death. He didn't just say, I loved you. He proved it with his life, with his blood, with laying it all down for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you cannot live on mission, but you can get saved. And you can respond to the gospel and it will be the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. If that's you, come to Him today. He calls you to turn from your sin and your selfishness and trust in His grace. And if you're here this morning and you know the Lord and you, like me, hear this and consider Jesus' call and feel 
conviction and you know what Jesus' marching orders are, you know the great need for the lost in our world, and yet you find yourself regularly being a spectator instead of a laborer for souls, then I encourage you now to pray and to plead with God to repent of your apathy and your focus on yourself. Ask God to help you see and feel for others the way our Savior Jesus saw and felt for us. Friends, I pray that whether your need is salvation or repentance or sanctification or boldness, that you will go to the Lord as we close this morning in desperate prayer, praying for God to prepare your heart and to prepare the hearts of those that you will share the gospel with this week, this month, this year. Pray to God to show you who it is He's placed in your path, in your life, in your sphere of influence for you to impact for the kingdom and be faithful towards this year. Join with me in asking God to help you look for and create and take advantage of missional opportunities starting today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your grace We thank You for Your mercy. God, I thank You that my salvation is not dependent upon how faithful I am in living on mission. I am thankful that my salvation is not dependent, Lord, upon my obedience to Your Word and to Your call. I am thankful, God, that even in my imperfection, even in my apathy, even in my backwards thinking, even in my self-focus, even in my idolatry, Lord, that Your grace is greater than my sin. But God, I pray that that grace will not just be something that I trust in to save me, but Lord, that that grace will also slowly but surely transform me. God, soften my heart. Soften our hearts for You. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to consider and know Your Word, know Your commands. And not just know them, but obey them. God, help us to look into the eyes of the lost, to see those who need the Lord, and to not turn away. To not say, I'm not messing with that. I'm not messing with messy people. God, help us to realize that we are the messy people. God, our sin is as great as those who don't know the Lord. Help us to guard against self-righteousness and apathy. And help us to live on mission. God, our prayer this morning, our prayer this morning is that you will take our lives and use them for you, that you'll consecrate them to yourself. God, I pray that you will work and move in us. And if anyone here this morning knows they need you and have not trusted in you, God, let them come today. Let them do business with you today. Give us wisdom to help counsel them through following Christ. We pray you'll get the glory. We pray that as your Spirit leads us, we'll respond. We praise you for who you are. In Christ's name I pray all these things. Amen.